And then this, the other shocking thought is if you want to expand and grow the business, so a lot of people will, but everyone will, I guess, generally buy a business in order to grow it, right? If you want to grow it, if you want to double the revenue in, it depends what you can do with the profit margins, but let's assume the profit margins are about the same. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business, but at a small and profitable business than a large one, which earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Download your 60-page workbook and start making your business more profitable today. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you could be. We're here to get you there. Let's jump in. Hey folks, welcome back. Jason and I are in the middle of of wordy discussions around how to evaluate a business for sale in the e-commerce space. So we're looking at it primarily through the lens of an acquirer. Jason and I are both shopping around and indeed acquiring businesses in the space. But the same criteria apply to you if you're trying to sell a business or create a business that will be sellable in the future. So if that's you, I would encourage you to think about the acquirer's perspective in order to create your business that's a sellable business, just as when you're trying to sell a physical product, you have to think about it from the, the buyer's perspective there as well. The buyer, in that case, being the consumer, and in this case, being the acquirer of the business. Either way, I would argue that the skill of empathy, thinking what somebody else is thinking about, needs to be overlaid on top of the objective criteria. So there's a lot to think about, but hopefully, like me and Jason, you find this a fun and interesting game. And of course, it can be very, very profitable done the right way as well. Stay tuned. Enjoy the show. Okay. With all of that preamble <laughs> outline. <laughs> that was the complicated now bit. Now let's talk <laughs> about the nine vital financial metrics to evaluate. Okay. Good. So that was, that was quite the preamble. So the first one is first KPI. We've already mentioned it. Absolute size of earnings or SDE or profit, whichever metric you're going to use. We've discussed that to the nth degree. That matters for the multiples. I've already mentioned this just to recap. If you've got a business that's doing a hundred thousand dollars a year in pre-tax profit or earnings, it's going to be have a lower multiple applied to it than one doing 500,000. And it's worth bearing in mind that if you hear numbers floating around about the multiples in your particular industry at a particular point, they are universal for different business sizes. So that's something the implication of that is, well, you may wish to grow your business yourself in terms of the, the earnings before you try and sell it, because otherwise you're going to get quite a small multiple. So that's the first point. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's pretty self-evident that that's the most important thing for valuation. How do you actually get to that truth together with the seller? Yeah. It's a whole different podcast. It is indeed. Yeah, it's a long negotiation. But for me, my criteria would be anywhere between about 100,000 and 500,000 at the moment in terms of SDE. And if you're buying businesses, the obvious implication of the flip side of what I just said is if you buy businesses that are quite small and put them together, you will automatically, on paper at least, add to the value without doing anything else because you created a, a bigger earnings, therefore the multiple <laughs> applied is bigger. 
this is part of what's led the aggregators up the garden path. I would say that with the, with the, I don't know if that's a metaphor you use in America, but they've gone a bit wrong because they, they kind of took that as their sort of gospel and didn't think about the practicalities of that. <laughs> but that's another podcast. It's such a British metaphor, the garden path. Let me interpret that for Americans who haven't been in a lot of British gardens. So what does that mean? Like you're going, trying to go to the front door, but the garden path is so beautiful and wrong and goes out to the backwoods. And I've never path. thought about it in that much detail in my life. I think it, what it means is you're just going up the wrong, a wrong path. You're going a wrong way, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I the garden no path is beautiful. Coton, go to Coton Manor, man. Go to, go to, go to the big gardens that are beautiful and you'll realize, oh, the front door is a minor footnote in the, in the castle. What everybody really wants to look at is the, the beautiful Victorian gardens in the back. Okay. Well, I've mentioned <laughs> okay. gardening to a Let's person in the gardening business. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think we get that one. KPI yes. number two is the profit percentage. So what, what percentage of revenue that is. And then coming back to the idea of um, revenue growth being a good thing. I don't think that's true necessarily at all. I've seen businesses recently where the revenue grew a lot and the profit grew a little, and that actively made me not to want to buy that business. And there's another one that had a similar situation where I was advising a client of mine and I said, that's not good. So I think the revenue in one case went up a hundred thousand dollars a year and the profit went up 10,000. That's terrible. <laughs> And so the profit percentage trend was really down there. And that's extremely worrying for any potential buyer. And I think it should be worrying for any business owner, but business owners tend to be focused on absolutes, not percentages so, sometimes. So just to state it clearly, the mm. percentage of profit as a part of the top line revenue. Yeah. So if I you mean, sell a million dollars and you've got, yeah. sell a million dollars and you've got a hundred thousand dollars of profit, you've got a 10% profit. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it's often as, as a percentage of, of net revenue, net of refunds, but then it's going down a rabbit hole. The same basic idea applies. Mm -hmm. I, I would say personally, again, if I'm going to buy a business, I'm looking at least 20% STE. That is to say before any management costs are involved. I would say also that sadly, a lot of my client businesses have been up at 20 or even 30% in the last couple of years in the pandemic times when e-commerce life was good are now seeing 10% bottom line without accounting for their own uh, management costs in some cases. So quite a lot of businesses that are the owners of which think they have a profitable business, once they start accounting for their time properly, realize they're basically running at break even, which is a very sad realization, <laughs> but it's certainly something you're going to have to discuss a lot with the potential buyer. A lot of people just walk away if it's not got any real profit in it. So reality check, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess it depends on the way you look at it. Hmm. So. Here's the case for buying a not profitable business. Mm. Let's say there's a $3 million or $5 million business that's not profitable that somebody wants to sell you. It's infinitely easier to steer a moving ship or turn an airplane that's falling gently to the ground <laughs> than it is to get the airplane off the ground. Now, you know, I mean, if, you, if you've got a business that's doing, you know, Let's just say it's doing a million dollars in, in top line revenue. It's not profitable at all. You get that thing 5% profitability. That's $50,000 a year. I mean, you know, big doors swing on little hinges. So the fact that somebody needs to sell that kind of business, they know it's not going to be worth hardly anything. Yeah. And then you've got an opportunity to manage your way into a super fast and efficient path for 
for, for success. I, if you asked me, which would you rather start a business that you make profitable from day one and get it to seven figures in top line revenue or buy a business that's got seven figures of top line revenue that has no profit, I would take the second one every day. You know, I mean, there's other factors involved, but you get the point. It's like, it's got, you got a spaceship, you're already up in space, you know? So uh, that's, that's the case for it. Now, yeah. if you're, you know, if it depends on, it depends on obviously many other factors, like, do you have a thesis that you could apply that would make it profitable? Can you see a path towards profitability? Absolutely. Can you see the clear error in the operator's ways? Maybe there's clear reasons why they're not profitable that are obvious to them and you and on and on. So, yeah. That's an extremely good point. I mean, quite a lot of people do, there are people that specialize in that said place called mm-hmm. the Harbor Club, which I've not joined because it yeah. doesn't attract me as a business model, but they specialize in buying distressed businesses, mm-hmm. which is to say that you might, if a business has got debt as well as, as revenue, um, but no profits or no cash flow with which to pay the debt off. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a lot of public utilities are like that in the States and certainly in Britain. I mean, Thames Water, for example, uh, has mm-hmm. in that they unfortunately supply our water and they basically mm-hmm. are kind of broke after they paid their shareholders mm-hmm. yeah. and they paid for their debt. But well, if you're to do your best deal, I would say that's probably worth a pound or a dollar if, if you're buying the debt as well. I'm not sure that's a very valuable business. Well, to your, to your prior metaphor, imagine mm-hmm. if you were a landlord seeking a property and the mm-hmm. person wanted to sell you the property and they didn't have a tenant. They had no income. It was just, just the building. Well, you know, you're going to pay one thing for it, but if you were buying it, it had a big tenant in it. Let's say it was a commercial building. Yeah. And I had a big, huge tenant in it. Well, which would you rather? Well, if you're a bargain shopper, you'd rather buy the one that didn't have the tenant at a bargain price, get yourself a tenant, and then you've got a, you know, much more valuable asset. Absolutely. Um, So that's the way to look at a business that doesn't have profit, I think. I'd agree with that. It's interesting that if you want to bring other um, people into the equation, particularly if you've got equity investors, they would need to be people who are uh, quite risk on and, and up for that kind of journey. And they'd have mm-hmm. to trust that you have mm-hmm. the insight and the operating chops, if you like to, and or team to turn it around. If you're looking yeah. at lenders, they will tend to be based there. They're more conservative about that. It's tending, it tends to be really hard to get a loan mm-hmm. against something which hasn't got positive cash flow. Doesn't mean that it's impossible, I guess. Yeah. Well, interesting. I mean, you let me, it's uh, quite a daring way of looking at it. Let me embellish it one step further. And that's the idea that there's two reasons to buy a company. One is for, you know, cash flow and the other was for a strategic purpose. So, you know, it, let's say you've got a business that has good cash flow. Well, you know, you don't need to buy another business that has good cash flow. But if you bought a business that had no profit, but they had a, a string of amazing products that you would take control of that are bolted on strategically to your existing business. Then, you know, that's a, that's, cons- that's what people call a strategic, you know, add on. And, and so buying a business for that purpose, for the strategic add on of the value of the assets, the products, the brand, on and on and on, you know, that's another reason to not necessarily eliminate businesses from your list that don't have profit. If you're in that situation, you know, if you're in the mood to, to bolt something onto what you've already got. So the, there's, yeah. so there's quite a bit of nuance here. And, uh, number two, oh, maybe. 
This is why um, the whole business of buying and selling business is so fascinating because there's so many uh, nuances. Mm-hmm. That I've got to have a logic to them, but there are many different ways mm-hmm. of, of slicing this. Well, look, yeah. we, 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 we said we'd, we'd get through succinctly, but I think it's good to discuss in detail, but let's get to the next one. Yeah. So the next one is a profit trend year on year and it, last few months. Now, if you've got a business that quite a few I've looked at recently, the profit and loss is only two years old or three years old. So you can't see much of a trend, to be honest, year on year. But if the last few months are going down, again, you know, this could be a great opportunity or it could be a reason to run for the hills, depending on how equipped you are to turn businesses around and what you think drives it. The only thing I would say about turning around a business based specifically on the Amazon platform is this, and, and this doesn't apply more universally necessarily, and your, all your points are extremely valid. I'd take them all. Often... The lack of profitability on Amazon is symptomatic if you're going into a marketplace that you cannot dominate because it's already got somebody else in it. Now, that's the sort of profit and loss. This is where the profit and loss and marketing metrics need to create a picture as a whole because you can't just work on the financial statements. I would want to look at the market and the keywords that people are after, how big the markets are, and what sort of market share that a particular company that I'm considering buying would have. But often I would say that if there's just a downward trend in profits, it could be several unsavory things, all of which would be out of my control as a new business owner, which would be pressure on consumer discretionary spending, which is really terrible in the UK right now because we've had big interest rate highs rises on top of um, big inflation, um, which is they're struggling to control, particularly here. UK is worse than mainland Europe, which is worse than US, although everywhere. That, so that's a pretty nasty trend. Again, doesn't mean you shouldn't buy the business, but you've got to make sure you buy it for the right amount if you're buying it at mm-hmm. the bottom of, if you think getting towards the bottom of a trend. And then there's, of course, whether your product has been swamped by the competition, which is super mm-hmm. hard to reverse. Again, it can be, but I see a lot of optimism around that from product creators and, and not much reality of turning things around there unless you are on the, on the cusp of turning it around anyway. So that's all I would yeah. say to that. I mean, I, I take that one quite seriously, the trend thing. Yeah, there's so much in here that immediately goes into a whole different bucket of, you know, conversation, which is non-financial. Absolutely. Um, and so we have a different podcast we're going to do that are all about the non-financial elements yeah. of evaluating a business, because what you just mentioned triggers three or four things that are, you know, the age of the business and the competition mm. space and how well you know the category and on and on. The, the, you know, those, those are worth thinking through, you know, separate from the financial related year over year profit or not. Absolutely. Yeah. But I would say again, like if you own a business, uh, if you buy businesses, you got to have some kind of way of fairly simply and quickly eliminating things from your inquiries because there are hundreds of thousands of potential businesses you can buy. Mm-hmm. And equally, yeah. if you're selling a business, you've got to be aware that you're going to be, it's a bit like a, a CV or resume being mm-hmm. sifted by an HR department somewhere. You know, in theory, they should interview everyone and take everyone equally seriously. But in practice, if you don't have certain things on your resume, you may just be eliminated up front. And if your business has a downwards trend in profit, generally speaking, you'll find it listed on broker sites for a much lower multiple and will be harder to sell, which doesn't mean it can't. But it's just something you've got to be aware of that people will simplify what, as you say, is actually a very nuanced thing. Most people will simplify it including me. I mean, I prefer to see a steady or small growth year on year. I, I'm not so keen on declining ones if they're Amazon focused. In other spaces, I might see that a bit differently, I guess. Yeah. yeah. The next one is is where everyone will argue for the next 10 years <laughs> or literally months anyway, which is the profit multiple or the initial expectation something's listed for. If I see a business I've seen, for example, it's doing about $100,000 a year in revenue 
the price points average, and this is another one, but if the low average price points and other various things that are pretty mediocre, and they're trying to sell it for five or five and a half times uh, annual profit, then I just think they're not serious and walk away. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Other people might be more patient and willing to knock you down, but that starts to feel like that sort of silly bargaining situation you can get on with the South Asians that I've been in before, where they say it's $15 and you end up with it being three. It starts to feel like, how seriously can I take this person? So, so what's the clearest way to express this? So great question. The profit, <laughs> the profit multiple is something to consider when you're buying the business and the profit multiple in your mind, that's a, what you would consider to be appropriate for, let's say a seven exactly. figure Amazon business, seven yeah. figure Amazon business that has, let's say, a $100,000 of profit. Yeah. What's an appropriate multiple on that $100,000 of profit? That is a great question. I actually have some a spreadsheet that I created for, oh. for a client about this. Um, but it's, I wouldn't say it's absolutely perfect. I would say a really perfect business that is doing under, you know, about a million dollars or something. I've seen a business that a client had, it had 30% pre-tax profit, which is SDE, but nevertheless, there wasn't much management time needed. It had 20 products. So that was a nice spread. Uh, there wasn't too much concentration risk. It sourced in the UK, sold in the UK. So the working capital requirement was lower, which is one of the other criteria. I should have put this one later because the, the multiple is one number, but it implies so many different metrics. So just to be and, clear though, there was top line sales of a million and $300,000 of SDE. Yeah, it was actually two different businesses, but they sold oh, them okay. to the same people. So yeah. yeah, and that sold for five point, I think one was sold for 4.5 times, one for 5.5 times, so about five mm -hmm. times profit. So, and that was at the peak in January last year. So if we take that as the absolute peak for a business of that kind of size, if you've got a business doing 10% and which demands a lot of working capital because you're sourcing from China, selling Europe or US, which is standard for a lot of physical product businesses and the price point's not that great. And you know, then you put a few things against it, then you've got to see that it's not worth five times. I mean, how much is it worth? Mm -hmm. That's the argument you're going to have forever and a day. Mm -hmm. And that's hard to be objective about that isn't objective in the end. There is unlike property. And I'd say this is an important one to bear in mind is with a small business. There is not really a liquid market for small businesses. Right. In many cases, there is no market and <laughs> most businesses that are listed with brokers in most small businesses, I don't know the stats specifically for e-commerce or Amazon businesses, but most of them just don't sell. I think it's about one in 20 for the last few years. Now that may be off by several, by, you know, by quite a lot, but that gives you a flavor. Whereas if you've got an apartment or a condo or a house, generally at some point you can put a value on it by comparing it to the multiple, very, very similar properties in the same area. Yeah. You can't really do that neatly with most small businesses. And so there yeah. is not really much objectivity about the multiple, which is why everyone argues about it forever. And the truth is a business is worth what somebody will pay for. Exactly so. 
and never more so than with a really small business. I mean, once you get up above $10 million SDE, then you know, you've got private equity companies and trade buyers fighting over businesses. You have multiple people trying to buy a business that gives you a bit more of a liquid market. Mm-hmm. And there is a little bit more of an objective value to it, although yeah. it still gets crazy. I mean, even for example, Skype was acquired by Microsoft for I believe a thousand times month annual earnings, which is insane. But it's because, as you said, they believe they could cross sell and upsell, down sell mm-hmm. all, all day long. So even there, there's no really objective criterion. So you've got to get your head around that as a business owner or a buyer, I think, that it's yeah. incredibly negotiable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. What's number five? Number five, working capital requirements. So this is really, really important. And this is awkward to calculate and awkward to, you know, to figure out. And you can argue, but it's really, really critical. If you're importing from China or India and you have to have effectively about six months worth of stock and you have 10 different uh, SKUs, that implies a certain amount of money that has to be tied up and the business owner cannot use for other purposes. So that's really important. People don't think about that enough, in my opinion, either as operators or let alone when they're buying businesses. And, but if you, if you ignore that, you're going to have a very, very rude wake up call as one of the things I was pointing out to a, a business buyer. He's a savvy guy, sold his own business for, you know, good money, several high six figures and. But he wasn't in the e-commerce space before, and he mm-hmm. wasn't really aware of the huge working capital requirements that you have to account for. So for me, that's absolutely critical number to look at. Because you could buy the business and think, hey, I, I, I funded the transaction or I'm making payments to the prior owner or whatever. But then it's like, oh, I need $87,000 for a container of stuff next to stuff. At least. And then this, the other shocking thought is if you want to expand and grow the business, so a lot of people will, but everyone will, I mm-hmm. guess, generally buy a business in order to grow it, right? If you want to grow it, if you want to double the revenue in, it depends what you can do with the profit margins, but let's assume the profit margins are about the same, then you're going to double your catalog most likely. And that means you're going to have to double the working capital requirements. So you might be looking at a half million dollars in, in additional capital requirements in the first year or two, depending on how ambitious you are for a so-called small business. And These are not casual things. <laughs> and in the su- buying and selling transactional process, that demand or requirement is almost like a ghost in the machine. Like if the seller didn't say anything about it and the buyer didn't ask anything about it and the buyer is like, I got a business. And then they don't think forward three months or six months or nine months and ask themselves the question, how much cash do I have to have? The seller is like, see you later, goodbye. You know, that's, that's your problem. Absolutely. Right? Caveat emptor, right? Buyer beware. And particularly true for, for buying an entire business. If you don't do, if you don't get financially literate, if you're on the side, buying side of it, you're really asking for trouble with the e-commerce. I mean, certainly if you're importing hard physical goods, I know that the e-commerce includes digital goods like you guys have, that, which mm-hmm. is completely different and a lot less scary. And mm-hmm. you can buy and sell in the UK and, and that's a lot less scary as well. But yeah, the numbers get big quickly. And what you need to do is a cash flow projection of some description. Uh, and I don't expect most people to be equipped to do that. You need to have an accountant do that. But if you don't do that, you are effectively buying. It's almost like, I don't it's not quite like buying other things. I'm, here's my metaphor. It's like you're buying a train or you, maybe you're buying a, a bus or a coach or some big vehicle that's already in motion and you're stepping onto it whilst it's in motion at 60, 70 miles an hour. If you don't have headlights on and you don't have a map of the territory, you could go careening off a cliff. There you go. It's my totally overstretched metaphor for the day. Oh, that's the or, least one. Or better metaphor, if you don't have 
enough money to buy gas for that bus. That's the a better moment. needs to stop at the gas station. You're not going <laughs> anywhere. Just stay at the bus gas station. That's a much less dramatic metaphor. I, I got a good bus, but I can't leave. I can't make it move. Yes. You got on the bus whilst it was moving. The owner sort of got off the bus and like, you know, speed style, like Keanu Reeves onto, yeah. you know, somehow. And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. You went out gas. And that is, a, joking apart, that is a very, very real risk. I, I see that with existing businesses all the time. They grow and then they hit the wall. I'm like, yeah, just because you need another half million dollars of capital injected if you're going to grow based on your current profit margins. Now, of course, uh -huh. if you can change that, you yeah. can change everything. But as we discussed, that's not easy to change, particularly mm. if you're in a brutally competitive price comparison environment like an Amazon marketplace. Other, yeah. other situations may vary, you know. Hey there, folks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the e-commerce leader. Um, apologies if it's been a bit technical and a bit nerdy. Um, I know financial stuff can get a bit dry. Um, trust me when it's your money at stake, either because you are looking at potentially getting a million dollar check or transfer to your own bank account, or you are looking at spending $200,000 of your own money and or getting lenders on your back with half a million dollars of, of loans that you're then responsible for. Any of those situations, it, it really does suddenly become very, very real, I promise you. So if you're not there yet, trust me that it's worth educating yourself about this. Um, so Jason and I are both really um, busy behind the scenes looking at and acquiring businesses. And uh, so this is something we're, we're really thinking about a lot. So this is not just a casual thought or possibility. I would say this, um, worth educating yourself and getting friends with finances. If you are not friends with your CPA yet, your, your accountant, you only talk to them occasionally, I think it's worth the conversation. Um, just a quick recap of today. Financial metrics trump marketing ones. That implies you've got financial metrics. We talked about that, the importance of a profit and loss and a balance sheet. Don't neglect the balance sheet. Talk to your accountant. Profit, not revenue. Well, we had an interesting discussion about that. Defining the different types of earnings metrics, operating profit, EBITDA, SDE, again, worth educating yourself about this. And then we talked about financial criteria that I think are important, um, absolute SDE or earnings size, the profit percentage, the profit percentage trend over the last years or last few months, the profit multiple, which is a very big tail hanged by that, and then working capital requirements not to be overlooked, absolutely critical, particularly in the physical product space, above all, if you're importing. So that's quite enough from us. Uh, stay tuned. If you enjoyed today, don't forget to go to theecommerceleader.com to get your show notes as well. And don't forget to subscribe to The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcasting channel as well. Thanks so much for listening. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That was the E-Commerce Leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. We offer you free help on our website, 
including PDFs, videos, and mini-courses on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels. Some are for Amazon, most are for any sales channel. To get those and to stay up to date with our podcasts, go to www.theecommerceleader.com. Thanks for listening.